Good morning. You guys sounded fantastic this morning. Me and Joshua talked about the energy that we would probably have this morning coming back in here after being out, and I think it was true. The band sounded fantastic. Thank you, Brian, for leading out on that and for singing so well this morning. We're going to be continuing in our summer worship series this morning, and we'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 uh, through really 20. And if you would like to turn there, we will eventually uh, get to this passage. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to come before you and open up the Word of God to you today. By way of introduction, I just want to say that I have several things that I really look forward to during the week. And one of those things is date night with my wife. We make it a priority um, generally every week to go out um, to eat dinner. Um, a lot of times we end up at Lowe's or something. It's just what parents do, kids. You'll understand one day. <laughs> but to be able to do that is something that I look very much forward to, just the two of us being able to be together. And also, my kids have started to move out. One is married, another one has moved out, and one tells me she will be moving out soon. So our house is shrinking, and with the, the ministries that are happening in the church and everybody that has their jobs that are working, some of them crazy hours, it gets very hectic around the house, and sometimes we don't even get to say a few words to one another, and some of my kids aren't even in the house. So what Another highlight that we like to do is come together typically on Tuesday evenings and we have a family dinner together where we get everyone in the house and we're able to sit around the table. I love to sit and interact with my children. I love to sit and watch them interact with one another, especially with Ryan, Ryan keeping it lively. And if you know Ryan, you would understand why I say that. He keeps it very lively. But I have to say that the greatest highlight of my week is this right here. From about 10.30 in the morning until 12 o'clock when God's people are gathered together and we are praising Christ together. This is good. This is right. And our time together is so important. It is so much needed for the encouragement of one another, and it is so much needed for our own spiritual growth. Hebrews 10, 25, or in 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And Colossians 3, 16 says, Let the word of Christ Dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, psalms, or singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness to God in your heart. There are many other passages that talk about the importance of the body meeting together, and certainly without fail, we have the opportunity to praise Christ together with one voice every single week. And we do this by letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And this is one of the keys to gathering together in a way that honors God. When we come together here at services at Oak Park, you will be filled with the word of Christ. Every week we begin the service with a call to worship. And that is scripture. 
we sing together and we sing the great truths of Scripture. We read Scripture together, sometimes as a body. We pray the Word together and we do some more singing together. And then we have the preaching, proclamation of the Word. And then we sing together some more. And then we close with the benediction, which is typically drawn from Scripture. And we certainly have other prayers that we take part in, different readings. We have communion that we take part in that is shaped around the gospel. We have baptism. We hear testimonies of how the Lord is working in the lives of people. And every Sunday we start off with a call to worship for a very specific reason. Because it helps us to get our minds focused on Christ And it gives us something to respond to. If you have not picked up on it, you will see this cycle of revelation and response throughout the service. We have this revelation as the call to worship. And then our response is that we sing. And we do that throughout the service. And we see this in Scripture. Isaiah Isaiah 6 is one of the greatest examples that we see of this. But I also point out these things to you to help you to see that worship is just not the singing part of the service. It is all of worship. Now, the preaching is certainly uh, the culmination and the highest form of our worship. But when we come together and we start our service, worship has begun. And as we join together, I pray that the word of Christ is dwelling in you. This is how we teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. As we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness to God within our hearts. What happens on Sunday morning cannot happen outside the walls of this church. You see, there is something special about God's people gathering together to lift up and praise the Almighty God. As we go through this series on worship, our hope is that you will understand the different aspects that we do within our worship service, but also that you would take these things and practice them in your own life, in the life of your family. We show you how to worship. We show you how to read scripture, and then we show you how to pray and how to even pray the scripture that we have read. You see how to sing. But how do we prepare to enter into this time of corporate worship? Because I don't believe that you can just show up and snap into the worship mode. I don't think there's any button on our bodies that we can push and poof, we can lift our hands in the sanctuary and worship. For us to be able to come to Christ and praise Him among the congregation, I 100% believe that you must participate in your own personal worship starting on Monday morning, or even after we leave here Sunday afternoon. How you live your life during the week will have an effect on how you worship here on Sunday morning. So what does this look like? How do we get from verse 19, where we are addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? How do we get to the point that we are singing and making melody to the Lord in our hearts? And not just lip service, but giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is what I want us to look at today. And my hope is that you will be able to come ready each and every week to praise Christ among the congregations. So let's look now at our passage this morning. Again, Ephesians chapter 5. 
beginning in verse 15. It says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. As I was reading the text for today, I couldn't help but think, of Alaska. You know that, uh, many of you know that we spent 10 years in Alaska. We actually moved down here from Alaska. If you ever want to make the drive, it's only 64 hours. Take you a little while to get there, but it's beautiful. You'll see some great things. But we came down here from there as I retired from the military, decided to go to seminary to try to get a full-time position in a church. Lord provided, worked that out very well. And I never would have gone there if the military hadn't sent us there. But I'm grateful that we did because it was an amazing 10 years. The place is massive. The place is beautiful. And everywhere that you turn in Alaska, there is a place to hike, a place to explore. But one thing that you do need to know about Alaska is that it is out to harm you, even kill you. Because you must be very wise about where you go and how you get there. There's lots of frontier to travel But you are not alone. You are constantly surrounded by danger. You have black bears. You have grizzlies or brown bears, depending on where you live. You call them something different, but they're the same bear. You have wolves. You have moose that are big, really big. And you have all kinds of other animals that you have to watch out for. But those are the main ones that we see. But these guys aren't just on the trails as you're out hiking. You can walk out your front door and you will be front face with a moose on any given day. Many times traffic is stopped as you're driving down the road because there's a moose standing in the road and he won't move. And nothing you can do will make him move. This is something that we don't see every day. We had for three years in a row, we had a moose that gave birth right in our front yard. And they don't just get up and leave. They stay there. And typically, they stayed there for three to four days. So every year, we had uh, moose as pets. And it was really cool because they'd lean up against the house, and you could go down to the window, and they'd be right there. So they're everywhere. You could even find an occasional moose walking into Walmart (laughs) or a hospital because they walk by, and the doors just open, and they just go right in. One of the most difficult things to get them out of is a parking garage. We can't even figure out how to get out of parking garages. (laughs) Try getting a moose out of a parking garage. So when you're walking around Alaska, you need to be wise. You need to be alert of your surroundings. And if you're unwise in your decisions on how to walk, you could be lunch. Even if there are no animals around, there can be danger just by simply walking through Alaska. Just outside of Anchorage, along the Turnigan Arm, there's what they have called the mud flats. 
And this is a majestic area. It is a beautiful body of water that is surrounded by the mountains. And at certain times of the day, the tide is low enough where you can walk out on the surface of the mud flats. There's even a section that you can cross all the way to a place called Fire Island. But you must be quick to get back or the tide will come in and you will be spending the night on the island until the tide goes back out. When you walk on these, you must be quick and careful because you could walk along and all of a sudden you will begin to sink very quickly. And literally, you will be stuck in the mud and I don't care how big you are and strong, you are not going to get out unless you have help. And the problem with this can be several things, but two that come to my mind, one of the greatest dangers is that you are stuck and you have critters walking along and they find you and decide they are hungry. Or you may experience the fastest rising boar tide in North America. This boar tide travels at speeds of up to 15 miles per hour and can reach heights of 10 feet. It may not sound very quick, but when you're stuck in the mud and you have a six-foot wall of water rushing at you at 15 miles per hour, it's going to seem fast. It's fast enough that people come and they um, surf as these tides come in. So if you are in Alaska, you should look very carefully at how you walk and where you walk. And the same is true for the Christian walk. And that's what Paul is telling us today in our passage. Now, our main focus this morning is praising Christ in the congregation, what we are doing right now. But before we get there, we can even do this. We need to walk carefully through this passage and allow it to lead us to praise Christ as we meet together corporately each week. And to help guide us through this passage, I want us to look at three things that we are told to do. One is be careful how you walk. Two is to be filled with the Spirit. And three, be filled with songs of thankfulness. But first we'll look at be careful at how you walk. Paul says, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Paul giving us here this contrast between the wise man and the foolish man. And everyone in this room fits into one of those two categories. We are either walking as fools, that's the unwise person, or we are walking as the wise person. And this thought of walking is heavily on the mind of Paul throughout this letter, and you will also see it in other passages that Paul writes throughout the New Testament. In this particular letter, we see in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the... For the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called. We're to walk with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We see Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And we see in Ephesians 5, 8, walk as children of light. This is our new life as believers. And it's the opposite of the way that we used to walk back in Ephesians chapter 2. When Paul describes that we were dead in our trespasses in the way that we used to walk. 
when we followed the world, when we followed the prince of the power of the air, the way we used to walk living in the passions of our flesh and carrying out the desires of our bodies. And at that time, we were children of wrath. This is the walking as a fool, and it is not a good path to be on. But now we are to walk differently. We are now to behave as wise people. We are to be imitators of God. And as we think about that, we have to ask ourselves a question, well, what does that look like? How can we be wise, as Paul says? Well, I'll let you in on a little secret. When you trusted in Christ, when you became a believer, the Holy Spirit came to dwell in you, and you were no longer a fool at that time. You were at that point a wise person. We certainly do not have perfect wisdom, but as we grow in our walk, as we become more and more like Christ, we grow in our wisdom. The unwise person, the unbeliever, or the fool, he has no insight into the things that pertain to God and salvation. They have no desire to reach the height of the goals that we have, and they wouldn't have any idea how to get there if they did. Because the things of the Lord are foolish to them. And the things that they would say have, or that we say would have little value, maybe even would be harmful to us, they, the unwise person regards as very highly. And they conduct themselves in very foolish ways. The wise person, on the other hand, has a proper insight into the things of the Lord. And they now walk in harmony with these truths. And again, we don't have perfect wisdom, but we do know what James 1.4 says. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But not only does the wise person have a proper understanding of the things of the Lord, but wise people also make the best use of their time. There is no such thing or, or there are so, much, so many things that just suck our time dry that is an absolute waste of time these days. And as Christians, we should make the most of every passing opportunity that comes our way. You see, a wise person knows and they understand that time is fleeting and every moment is a precious commodity. And I would say that as we grow older, we begin to realize that more and more. It's a proven fact that we have 24 hours in a day, every one of us, 60 minutes in an hour, we're given the same time. The question is, how do you use that time? We might like to think that we can control the time, but in reality, we can't stretch out time. So what we must do is use the time that we have, the time that God has given us to the very fullest We can't just wait for opportunities to just fall into our laps. We should be going after opportunities. We should be showing by means of our lives and conduct the power and the glory of the gospel to an unbelieving world. Abounding in good works, we need to be obtaining the assurance of our salvation. We need to be actively working to strengthen the fellowship of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be working to bring the gospel to our neighbors doing all this to the glory of God. The opportunities that we miss today will never return. 
They may show up in a slightly different way, but we need to take the moments that we are given and we need to use them to the fullest. We say, well, how can we apply this to our weekly gathering? I would say simply to take the opportunity to be here when we gather together. Make it a priority in your life, in the life of your family. I would argue that the best use of your time on any given Sunday is to be sitting in this room with your church family. This is such a precious time. If you were to sit and sit with me in premarital counseling, you would hear this. Make the weekly corporate gathering at Oak Park a top priority. I understand vacations. I understand sicknesses. So this is the goal that I suggest couples start out with as they enter into marriage. Be at church 48 weeks of the year. Strive for all of them. But I'm giving something to shoot for. This gives you two weeks for vacation and two weeks to be sick. Now, I understand also that people travel for work. Things come up. But even when our family goes on vacation, typically we will find a church to attend because it is that important to us. Now, I'm not guaranteeing that the church you choose will be a good church. We've walked into some doozies. (laughs) And we've had some very good theological conversations about that church when we left. Makes for good lunchtime conversation. But when we think about the body of believers meeting together here at Oak Park, where is your heart? Is your heart in it? And what are you teaching your children about the importance of going to church every week? There is something special that takes place when God's people meet and they join together in worship. And we have the privilege of being here each and every week. Paul goes on to say that we must make the best use of time because the days are evil. There are so many people around us falling into sin. So many people around us who are walking in sin, dying in their sins, and we have the antidote for that. So what are we waiting for? Time is short. James 4.14 says, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, and then it vanishes. So since time is so short, believers must make full use of their times. We make, must, must make full use of the time we have so that we can grow more and more in our walk with the Lord, becoming more and more like Christ, and so that we can help the unwise turn from darkness into the marvelous light. But this requires that we use wise conduct in our everyday lives. Another way that we are to exercise wisdom is to simply understand what the will of the Lord is. When we speak of knowing the will of God, we need to look in Scripture to find that. And typically we do. I hope we do. There's nothing mystical about His will. We do not need some special experience or revelation. It's all right here. So we find God's will by studying the Bible. We find God's will by allowing the Holy Spirit to illuminate that truth in us with the understanding of Scripture, and then we apply it to our hearts and the circumstances that are around us. And when we find God's will and understand His will, then we can't just take that and just sit on it. It's more than just knowing His will. 
Paul is talking about making the best use of our time. And when we know what God is doing, when we see where he is moving, what are we doing about it? How are we using our days, our hours, and our minutes? What is it that God wants us to be doing? Well, I can say one thing that he has called us to do over and over is to worship him in the splendor of his holiness. And we can do that here on Sunday mornings, and we can do that as we are outside the walls of this church during the week. So we must be careful how you walk. And then next, we are to be filled with the Spirit. Verse 18 tells us, And do not get drunk with wine, for that has debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul is encouraging us as wise Christians to excel in being filled with the Holy Spirit. He is contrasting being filled with the Holy Spirit with getting drunk on wine. And I'm not here to debate the use of alcohol, but it is clear in Scripture that you are not to be drunk. The drunken person acts a fool. The drunken person is not in his right frame of mind. The drunken person can be a danger to himself and to others. And I know this from personal experience as my father was an alcoholic. And I saw how twisted his mind became, how angry he became, and oftentimes how he would try to hurt himself without even knowing that he was. We read in Proverbs 20, verse 1, says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. You see, drunkenness mocks a person by making him or her think that he is better off instead of worse off, smarter instead of more foolish, happier or relaxed instead of actually just having this buzz. And Satan has used alcohol in a very big way because it deceives while it destroys it looks fun, but in the end, as Proverbs 23, 32 says, it bites like a serpent and it stings like an adder. A drunk person does not learn his lesson and he is deceived over and over again. Proverbs 23, 35 tells us that when he is waylaid, when he is beaten, when he finally awakens from his drunken stupor, he will have another drink. Brothers and sisters, it is clear in Scripture that we are not to be drunk. But instead, what we are to do is be filled with the Spirit. And you might say, well, aren't we already filled with the Spirit when we are saved? Yes, you are. The moment you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up the residence in your life. And this is what we would call possessing or being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And He indwells every believer at the moment of salvation. We see in Romans 8, 9, says that anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So we as believers possess the Spirit. But what Paul is commanding us to do is to be filled with the Spirit. Well, how is that different? Well, in the original language, we see this more literally rendered as be being kept filled it is a command for every believer that includes the idea of conscious continuation of being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is not an option for the believer. It is, in fact, a command. You don't have a choice 
in the matter. And this is important for us because no Christian can fulfill God's will for his or her life apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit. This is a must and needs to be the most important things in our lives because without being filled with the spirits, we cannot know God's will. We cannot live lives as wise people. Without being filled with the Spirit, we cannot be walking in love as Christ has loved. We cannot be walking in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called. And we cannot walk as children of light. Allow me to add that if we are not a people filled with the Holy Spirit, then we cannot praise Christ among the congregation in a way that brings honor and glory to God. Because without the filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, our lives are spiritually weak. Frustration. And we are oftentimes defeated. So this command to be filled involves this day by day and moment by moment submission to the Spirit's control. It's nothing that we can do, but rather something that we allow to happen within of us. The feeling that we experience is completely the work of the Holy Spirit himself, but we have to willingly submit to the Holy Spirit as he works in us. Well, how can we be filled with the Holy Spirit? Here are two ways. First, to be filled with the Spirit, we must confess our sins and put to death our self-will. It's hard to be filled with the Spirit when we're filled with sin. So we need to confess our sin, and we need to confess our sin quickly and fully. We need to die to self. And when we do that, the Lord fills us with His Spirit. And then second, as I mentioned earlier, we must let the Word of Christ dwell within us richly. This is simply taking the Word of God and letting it indwell and infuse every part of our being. We must be filled with His Word, and we can only do that by opening up your Bible and reading it, studying it. We have to meditate on the Scripture. We have to allow it to change our lives. And as we are filled with the Word, it begins to control our thinking. It begins to control our actions. And in turn, we become more and more like Christ. Isn't it interesting that when you read of men doing great things in the New Testament, it typically mentions that they were full of the Holy Spirit. I love what Spurgeon says. He says, if a Christian is ever pricked or cut, they should bleed Scripture. How much Scripture do we have within us? The Spirit-filled life gives every step taken to the Spirit of God. Paul also uses this language of walking in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, and he gives good reason. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. If you are not walking by the Spirit, then you are continually being, or, and you're not continually being filled with the Spirit, then you will fall back into the deeds of the flesh that Paul lays out later in Galatians 5:19, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, 
idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealous, fits of anger, and the list goes on. And if this is your life that you are living, if you have fallen back into these things, then you cannot praise Christ among the congregation, the very reason that we gather together each week. But if you obey these commands, if you're continually being filled with the Holy Spirit, then you will walk into this building each Sunday and we will be able to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we are filled with the Spirit, then we can move to point number three, which is be filled with songs of thanksgiving. The Spirit-filled life will put a new song in your heart. I don't care if you have a good voice or not. I don't care if you can't carry a tune in a bucket. If you are a Spirit-filled Christian, you should be singing as a Christian. And that joy you have will shine through any bad sound that you may think comes out of your mouth. So sing as one who is rejoicing to the Lord. We all should be singing the song of redemption because, brothers and sisters, you and I are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who have called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And now we have much to be joyful for and so much to praise God for in our private worship and as we gather together here on Sunday mornings. Who are we to be singing to? It primarily be, should be fellow believers. This is the one another that Paul speaks of. This is the horizontal aspect of our worship. The music we sing in the church was never meant to be evangelistic. No music in the Bible ever characterized as being for the intent of evangelism. Can God use music to change the hearts of believers? Yes, and I pray that he does every Sunday as we have visitors come in. And that is why we carefully choose the text that we use in the songs that are rich in truth of the gospel. And we're never trying to draw out emotions as we sing. Emotions is good. But any emotion that is shown in this place should come from an overwhelming presence of the Holy Spirit's work in your life and the truth that you are hearing throughout the entire worship service. Whether it's reading of Scripture, whether it's the prayers of God's people, and certainly from the preaching of God's Word. How do we sing? We address one another first by psalms. This refers mainly to Old Testament psalms put to music. But it is also a term used of the vocal music of various forms like solos or maybe an anthem sung by a choir. There are some good, <clears throat> um, good psalms that we are able to sing to. And we should because they are filled with the history of God's working, the creation of God, and oh, how the songs magnify the Lord. There's been many contemporary artists who have taken psalms and they have put them to music that we can sing. Shane and Shane has several albums out there 
that are just rich with the psalms that they have put to music. Even Pastor Brian has mentioned several times to me that we should uh, write some songs. He's mentioned, I'd love to do that. And I just had a class a week or so ago, and I purchased a music writing program. And since I just told you that, we have to get busy, Brian. We need to make some songs. So we sing psalms to one another. We also sing hymns to one another. This is primarily songs of praise. And this doesn't necessarily mean the book that's in the back of the pew there. Hymns are typically used to praise the Lord Jesus Christ. By contrary to popular belief, the hymnal is not inspired. There are many songs in there that we would never sing in this church. But there are many godly men and women who are producing great hymns that we should sing. And many of them we do. We sing songs by Keith and Kristen Getty. We sing hymns by Matt Boswell and many other people. The spiritual songs that Paul speaks of were probably songs of testimony covering a broad category that included music expressing a spiritual truth. But the point of these verses is that we are to sing. And we see this commanded throughout Scripture and so often in the Psalms. Psalm 95 says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. And let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. We heard Gary read earlier, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Brian gave us a tremendous call to worship. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise him over and over and over again. And he lays out all the instruments. And then he says, Let everything that has breath... Praise the Lord. Are you breathing today? Then you should be praising the Lord. And then finally we are told to sing and make melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We understand what we are singing, but we are also to see that we are to be making a melody. And this literally means to pluck a stringed instrument with the fingers. And as we are worshiping together, we are using our voices as the congregation sings together and the talents of those who play instruments to help us to worship and glorify God, our Father. And when we sing, we are to sing from our hearts. A person who does not have a song in his heart cannot sing from within his heart. He can only give lip service to the music And the music that he sings will not have the power to bless others. When Christians sing from their hearts, they're not trying to draw attention to themselves. We're not trying to entertain one another as we sing on Sunday mornings. Instead, we come together with one voice making melody to God and praising him. We sing giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We should be the most thankful people in the entire world because of what he has done for us and everything that he continues to do in our lives. If all Christ did was die for us, we'd have great reason to be thankful. 
But he continues every single day to bless us over and over. And brothers and sisters, we will never cease to have things to be thankful for in our lives. We are to be thankful for all things because he has given us all things. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Congregational singing is one of the greatest and most beautiful ways that we can come together and declare the greatness of God, strengthening His church and sharing His glory in the world. Martin Luther, over 500 years ago, said, Let God speak directly to His people through the Scriptures and let His people respond with grateful songs of praise. It was Luther who was responsible for bringing congregational singing back in to the church, and I'm grateful for men like him. Luther also said, Next to the word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. It controls our hearts, minds, and spirits. A person who does not regard music as the marvelous creation of God does not deserve to be called a human being. He should be permitted to hear nothing but the brain of donkeys and the grunting of hogs. I understand that as we sing, you may not care for a particular song that we sing. The songs that we sing may be too slow or too fast. Gary? (laughs) Maybe you don't like a particular arrangement. You just don't care for it. Maybe the instruments that we use. But we try very hard to give a good balance. And we can't please everyone. But as we come together on Sunday morning, I am asking that you would lay aside your taste for the greater good of your brothers and sisters. But one thing I do promise is that what you will get is biblical, solid, rich truth as we sing each week. Music is a gift from God, and it helps us in a great way to draw near to each other and to God. And we sing because we are commanded to. And not to sing is to disobey Scripture, and to disobey Scripture is to disobey God. There are more than 400 references to singing throughout Scripture, and at least 50 direct commands to sing. And when Scripture says to sing to the Lord, there are no conditions attached. We are just to sing. You guys are a singing church, and I love it. And I know some of you are a singing people as well throughout the week. Because many of you have come to me and told me how blessed you are by the music. And that you wake up Monday morning and there's a song on your heart. And that blesses my soul. I love to hear that. So as we think of these things, as we walk the way Christ wants us to, As we are filled with the Spirit, I pray that every week as we come together here on Sunday morning, we can truly praise Christ among the congregation the way that we are called to do. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that there is a new song in our hearts. Thank you that you have blessed us with the beauty and the richness of music, and that we can come together as a church 
to praise you, not with just the music, Lord, but with our entire service, with all of our hearts. But Father, you have given us reason to sing. You have given us reason to be thankful. And I pray that as we go from here, that we would constantly be looking carefully at how we walk, that we would always be making the best use of our time, bringing you glory in everything that we do. Father, I pray that we would constantly be filled with your spirit as you continue to grow us more and more in your likeness every day. I pray that during the week we would be filling our minds with the truth of your word and letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly, meditating on these truths so that as we gather corporately, it may be a sweet time of praise to God. Lord, I pray now that our hearts have been filled today And as we continue in our worship, I pray that we would do it through singing and that it would truly be from our hearts to you, our Heavenly Father. I ask these things in your name. Amen.